Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface. And we've got Matt Holland and Scott Minto, two Charlton legends in the building this week as we preview all the weekend's action and what a weekend of action it is live on TalkSport. We start with the Manchester derby, but we'll also bring you the West London derby between Fulham and Chelsea and keep you updated what's happening in the North London derby. So let's not waste any time. Let's get straight to it on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, gents. Hope you're all well. I know, Scott, you'll be absolutely on a, on tender hooks waiting for Fulham against Chelsea on Thursday night. Uh, how on earth has this become a really key game for Chelsea? I mean, this is, a, this, is, this is a match where Chelsea usually just turn up, beat Fulham, go home. It's all done and dusted within an hour and a half and no one really worries too much. But I don't think it's going to be as easy as that on Thursday night when we pitch up there. No, and, and this is probably one of the worst games that, that Chelsea could be facing. But we're getting to the stage, Sam, where almost every game is one of the worst games that Chelsea could be facing. When you're going through a bad run uh, like uh, Graham Potter is, then then every game does look more difficult than it could be. But I tell you what, Fulham away, the way Fulham are playing this season, it is a tough one. They will be up for it. I think they will go at Chelsea. And look, you know, I, I, I've been sort of defensive of Graham Potter um you know, for for a period of time now. And I do think he's had a lot of injuries. I mean, to be double figures in terms of injuries is, is terrible at any time. He's just come to the club. He's just trying to get his, his, his thought pattern over. And he's played Manchester City three times, Arsenal, Newcastle, um, and, and a few other, Brighton away, which was, you know, obviously they were going to be up for that one. It's almost like the perfect storm, but you can't keep on saying that, um, you know, it's a difficult game, it's this, then, that. They're all difficult and you've got to somehow find a way. I do think that Rhys James in particular and Ben Chilwell is a problem when they're both out. But look, they have to somehow find a way and, and, and it will not be easy at Craven Cottage because I've been I've been really impressed by by what the job that Marco Silva's done. And you know, at the moment, he's up there. He's probably just behind Eddie Howe and Mikel Arteta in terms of manager of the season. Yeah, uh, they lost that Brighton game. They lost that Arsenal game. They lost that Newcastle game. They lost that game against Manchester City. In fact, they lost all three games against Manchester City and they did so without scoring. The truth is, is that the Chelsea fan base is unsettled, Matt Holland. And, and what do you do here? I mean, you can sack him if you like. I mean, make it easy for yourself. Sack him, bring in a new coach. Everything will be all right for about 18 months and the same thing will happen again. Because ultimately, Chelsea's biggest issue is structural issues. And over the last 10 years, they haven't recruited properly. They haven't managed to invest in a manager and build a team. You look at Pep Guardiola, you look at 
Liverpool with Jurgen Klopp. You look at the way that Arsenal have invested in Mikel Arteta. Surely there's a massive, great big signpost telling you this is how to run your club. Do you agree think, or do you think he's out of his depth? I think you make a really good point about Mikel Arteta and, and the, uh, the way that Arsenal have stuck by him through difficult times. There was a period last year when the Arsenal fans um, were on his back and wanted him out of the football mm-hmm. club and look where they are now. I think you can look to Nottingham Forest a little bit as well with Steve Cooper at the start of the season where, where they were uh, and they made a decision to stick with their manager and, and look where they are now out the relegation zone and given themselves a chance of staying in the Premier League this season. So I think it's very early to say that, that Graham Potter should be sacked. He hasn't been in the job very long. I agree that at times he's perhaps over-tinkered. He, he did that at Brighton. He's changed his formation. He's changed his personnel. I think it's just a case of yeah. him getting to know the players that he's got and who fits what he wants them to do. I think Scott makes a great point about Reese James and Ben Chilwell. The win percentage with those two in the side makes a huge difference. Uh, and Golo Conte is a big loss in the middle of the pitch as well. But the biggest problem at Chelsea is the lack of goals. 20 goals in 17 Premier League games. It's just not enough for a, for a club of, of that quality um, and size. And interestingly, it looks like, you know, obviously, Aubameyang's surplus to requirements, I think, at, at Chelsea... Um, they're going to go for Jao Felix. Now, is he the answer to, to those problems? That I, I would suggest not for the league of goals this season. Um, yes, he's got plenty of talent. He's got quality. And I, I want to see Jao Felix in the Premier League. Um, but he's not a number nine. And that's what Chelsea are crying out for. They're crying out for a number nine. He's another number 10. He's, a, he's someone that wants to play between the lines. He wants to get into space. Um, and more of a creator rather than an out-and-out goal scorer. Um, so whilst they've, you know, they're struggling for goals, it looks like they're going to go for a number 10 rather than a number 9. Scott Minto, looking at the stat, I mean, sh- I mean, we all do these sort of like intense stats and data analysis now. Um, in the Premier League, only three clubs have had less shots than Chelsea. That's an important statistic. If you speak to anybody who's sort of a big better or someone who uh, is analysing data, shot count really matters because it shows a real intent. There's only three clubs in the Premier League, Bournemouth, Everton and Nottingham Forest, who have had less shots than Chelsea this season. Less shots than Chelsea. Only three. That's an outstanding statistic. I mean, you're looking at it. West Ham have had more shots than than Chelsea. Crystal Palace have had more shots than Chelsea this year. So Southampton must have had as well. I feel your passion, Sam. Yeah. I, I, 205 I, shots Southampton have had. Chelsea have had 186. Yeah, look, look, absolutely. And and I agree with Matt. Look, they need a striker. They need someone who sticks the ball in the back of the net. And and that's not necessarily what, what Joao Felix does. He's not a nine. He is a ten. However... The ones who have been creating or supposedly creating this season, the Pulisic, the ZX, even the even the the, the Mason Mounts, Racking Sterling, I don't think has has really hit the ground running in the Chelsea shirt. No one can actually say in that attacking position that they've been really good this season. So, look, I, I, I'm still a big fan of Graham Potter. I like what Todd Bowley's trying to do. I think in the last couple of decades, and I've said this before. The Chelsea fans have almost been programmed that if they fall below the top six or even below the top four, that the band is going to get sacked. This is a real test for the owners to say, do you know what? This is our guy and we're going to stick with him because if they don't, 
then they're setting a bar in terms of exactly what Abramovich has done. And they're going to go from manager to manager when things don't go well. I'm hearing this morning that Pochettino has been linked to it. I think it's disgraceful to be honest with you. I'm not suggesting that he personally has done that. It's the mischief of maybe the agents, but the guy's been in the job for such a short time. And there's parts of the media who want to, to get that narrative of let's try and build a case against Graham Potter. Let's give the guy time. Let's give him a couple of windows. Let, let's see what happens. But but Sam, you're absolutely right. To win a game, you have to at least shoot, let alone score. And and he has to improve that. So, look, he's got to get his players back to, to fitness. He's got to work away of, one, what system he wants, and two, what players go into that system. And then you're hoping the players that will be fit can actually do the job. But... Um, but so far, it's a very difficult time, and I'm sure he's learning a lot about himself as well as the players. In terms of the Fulham game, Sam, he has had a bit of fortune in that Alexander Mitrovic is suspended. So that's that's one yeah. thing that's that's one thing that's gone Graham Potter's way. Um, because how good a season is and, he and having? Carlos Vinicius hasn't really pulled up any trees, has he? Since sort of deputising whenever he's sort of come into to play instead of of Mitrovic. Um, one win in eight games in the league for Graham Potter, thrashed by Manchester City in the FA Cup. Only thing to play for, really, is the Champions League. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, and arguably, when you look at the table right now, they're the third best team in West London behind Brentford and Fulham. Um, Friday night sees Aston Villa take on Leeds United. Two sides coming off the back of four FA Cup games. I mean, Villa were knocked out, Matt Holland. By Stevenage. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, how did it happen? Because they were pretty much in control of the game as well, weren't they? With with just five minutes left and then and then conceded two two late goals. Um great day for Stevenage and, and a great result for them. Um but actually Unai Emery has done a very good job, hasn't he? Since he's since he's arrived at the club, the way he's set them up and the, and the results mm. that he's picked up since he's since he's arrived. Um they were a team I didn't that think were, they were very good against Wolves. No. But they, they were a team that were looking over their shoulder when he arrived. And I don't think that's the case now. I think, you know, you, all of a sudden they're seven points away from the relegation zone. Whereas, um, you know, when Steven Gerrard left, that was they were a little bit closer than that to that relegation zone. So um, I think he's he's done a, a decent job. And actually, with the team that he selected against him, they should have won the game quite comfortably. I think he picked a, a front three of, was it Ings, Bailey and Coutinho? That was his front three that, that he selected in the game. So it was a team that was strong enough to, to, have, to have won it. Um, but man sent off. Then Donker got caught in possession and they, they conceded those two goals. He'd be looking to do some business in January, like all managers, looking to, to try and bring his own players in. It looks like Alex Moreno's going to be the first one through the door. Um, so he'd it, it, be looking to try and bring in a few players of his own. And, and they'd be looking up rather than down now since Unai Emery came into the building. Uh, Leeds have had a bit of a sticky patch, not particularly restarted well after the World Cup break. They've conceded 14 goals in their last six away games, Scott Minto. Um, is this going to be a high-scoring affair? I've given up predicting now, Sam, to be honest with you, what happened at the World Cup. And, what were uh, you and... here for then? Where's well, Crook? Yeah. Let's get him back. Listen, if I could predict scores... I wouldn't be here, or at least I'd be doing it Zoom from Barbados, let me tell you, from my <laughs> mansion overlooking the beach. Um, but what I can tell you is, you know, Leeds need to be careful. It, it's no winning six now. They they somehow got out of being 2-0 down after a terrible first half at Cardiff. Um, and, and they've got some, got some really important games coming up. You know, they, they, they've got Villa away, they've got Cardiff, they've got Brentford at home. If they're not careful... 
February's not easy either. That they could be mm. really sucked into it. I actually think that that they'll be okay. If you really pin me down, I could look, you could turn around and say, look, they're one of those teams because of their defensive record that they could get sucked into it. But I think they'll be okay come the end of the season. You know, comparisons about similar to where Bielsa's leads were. I, I think there's no way the negativity on the pitch in, in like it was uh, under Bielsa. So I think Jesse Marsh, look. I'm not sure we'll ever quite win a certain oh, 100% of the fans over there, Ellen Road, yeah. because he followed Bielsa. But I like what he's trying to do, and I think they'll be okay. Do I think there'll be goals in this one? Lead score, and they and they concede as well. Having said that, the reason why I don't like to 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 predict is what happened at St. James's Park when Leeds went there. I didn't see that being a nil nearer. But you would think there'll be goals at both ends in this game. Yeah, Rodrigo's got 11 goals now, and uh, Wilfred Nonto... Looks like a, a promising player. They've got 17 points, Leeds United, which is the same as Nottingham Forest and Leicester City. That's just two points above the relegation zone. Uh, Manchester United are in fine fettle. Manchester City aren't doing too bad either. Those two clash live on game day from 11 o'clock on Saturday morning on TalkSport. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. We can compete with, with every team, officially, Man City when they are, are on their best, a hard opponent for everyone. It's poked back to Haaland, and Haaland gets his second, and Manchester City's third. I have the feeling that United is coming back. Finally, United is coming back. Why you have to fight to you to qualify for the Champions League, you fight for the title. Brilliant finish from Marcus Rashford. Manchester United have turned up the music. Fernandes is on to Anthony. Anthony into the penalty area to take on Pickford to slip it into the far corner. Brilliant finish. We will know more about United on Saturday afternoon after the lunchtime kickoff against City than we have done all season. Oh, what a magnificent strike, Kevin De Bruyne! It's the one game you want to win and uh, it's the one game you don't want to lose. And of course, all outcomes are possible apart from City getting a hiding. Back to Fernandes on the volley, edge of the box, rifles it home. Mara's on the volley, brilliant! We are underway in the Manchester derby. Ring that bell, it's the champion in one corner. 
and the one-time great in the other. Oh, this is a belter, isn't it? Manchester United against Manchester City live on TalkSport, 12.30 on Saturday. Uh, we'll have all the build-up from 11 with Reshvin Chowdhury, Stuart Pearce and Mickey Gray will be there with me. Really looking forward to this game. Manchester United have won eight games in a row since their 3-1 defeat to Aston Villa. Didn't think they were particularly good on Tuesday night against Charlton. This is your 30 seconds, gentlemen, to say how good Charlton were. I know you're absolutely <laughs> aching to tell us how good Charlton were. Go on, just say it. It's okay. I didn't. I didn't see the game. I, I it wasn't on television, Sam. What? It, it wasn't on television, was it? So I was. I was watching um, Newcastle Leicester. Um, I was watching Dan. Should have been listening to Talksport. Yeah, I was, well, I should have been. I should have been listening to Talksport. Exactly. I was watching. No, but I was watching Newcastle Leicester. I was watching Dan Byrne do his bit down the left hand side and thinking he was Roberto Carlos. Jinky, yeah. Jinky Dan Byrne. Yeah, and he's danced afterwards. By the way, we could, I'm sure we'll talk I, about that a little I, bit I, later. I'll take over then because believe it or not, Sam, I was listening to you and Mickey Gray. I did try and find the game, um, realised I couldn't. And obviously I don't do dodgy streams. So I listened to Talk Sport with, with you two and Adrian. And I thought, I'm really proud of them. You know, really, I heard Mickey say when they scored the second goal, Marcus Rashford, and, and we'll definitely talk about him. You know, it wasn't a 2-0. So it, it definitely wasn't a 3-0. So, yeah, well done, Charlton. Take it to the uh, the league form where I know Matt will be hoping that both Charlton and Ipswich go up from League One this season. Yeah, OK. All right, now, we have the Charlton loving is now over. Let's have a <laughs> loving on Marcus Rashford because he's scored 13 for the season. Now, the most informed player in the league. I spoke to Tom Heaton about him last night and he says, you see it in training, the confidence, the dynamism, the fitness. He is absolutely on fire right now. He scored in each of the last eight home games for Manchester United. Is he unstoppable, Matt? That's what that's what Eric Ten Hag said. He said he's unstoppable at the moment. Um, I think we should credit the manager as well for the turnaround in, in Marcus Rashford's form. Um, he, he's playing with confidence. Every time he picks the ball up now, instead of taking the easy option, instead of turning back, instead of passing it simple, he's now looking to affect the game in the final third. He's looking to be positive. He's looking to take people on. He's confident every time he goes forward that he's going to score. Um, he, he's uh, he's just in a place now that I haven't seen Marcus Rashford before. Even going back to his debut when he scored those two goals against Arsenal and he's playing with freedom and he's playing with, with where he's got you know no weight on his shoulders whatsoever. Um, right now, we're seeing the very best version of Marcus Rashford. We're seeing exactly why he's been talked about in the past as, as a player that can can really affect things at, at the very highest level. And I, I'm enjoying watching him. I, I'm enjoying watching every time he picks the ball up because I think something's going to happen. And he's, he's in a really good place at the moment. It's it, it's good watching United and, and the way that they're playing right now. I mean, talk about mm. Marcus Rashford. Eric Ten Hag, I think, has done an unbelievably good job. At United, all the big decisions that he's made, he's made some really strong decisions as well at times. I mean, he left Rashford out, didn't he, for the Wolves game? Got that right, brought him on at half time. He yep. scores the winner. Everything that Eric, every decision that Eric Ten Hag has made has proved to be the right one, and I, and I think we have to credit the manager for the way that that Rashford's playing right now. Yeah, and he's a he's an interesting character, Eric Ten Hag. Um, and speaking to him last night, I asked him whether or not he felt that Manchester United had done enough to build from where they were when they last played Manchester City, when they lost 6-3 earlier in the season. And those processes and systems that he keeps banging on about, those standards that he keeps talking about, the building of the team that he continually mentions, have done enough to be able to make them competitive with Manchester City on Saturday. 
yesterday because they weren't competitive the last time these two met. It wasn't that long ago. And he said to me, we can compete with any team in the world. I don't know if it's just bravado. I don't know if he's just trying to talk his team up, Scott. But he certainly believes that on Saturday he can do something. They'll have to play better than they did against Charlton. But there'll be a lot of changes and influential personnel that come into the team uh, on Saturday lunchtime. Yeah, there will be a lot of changes, Sam. And uh, I agree with Matt, you know, with the job that he's done since he's coming. When you, when you go back to the Brentford game, and he must have been thinking, wow, what am I doing here? I'm turning around the Titanic. You know, he has made a lot of really good decisions. Um, and it looks like he's got the power to even say, I want about big horse at, at Old Trafford. So, you know, we'll see how that one goes. And you've got to have some money in the bank if, you, uh, if, you've got, if, if you're able to do that, haven't you? I mean, bearing in mind the guy's record at Burnley. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But look, I think it's great to see Rashford back. He's in a happy place off the field, which makes him in a happy place on the field. This is a really big game for United because, you know, you can say about, you know, they, they've won the last eight at home. Um, you know, they, they played Charlton, Everton, Bournemouth, Forest, Burnley. I mean, Wolves away is a difficult game. But this now is a different level. For me, City are, we'll see whether they can win the title or not, but I think they're the best team in the world, personally. They've got City, they've got Arsenal, uh, they've got Barca a couple of times uh, in January and February. This period now would tell us exactly where United are. But in terms of the building blocks of what he's done, you know, they were on the floor at the start of the season and 6-3 flattered United, not City. So I'm fascinated to watch this game and to see whether they can live to... The city standard. Just compare United this time last year to where they are now, and and the personnel that he's got in the building. He's brought he's brought a winning mentality to Manchester United. You think about his recruitment. Every single player that he's bought improves them. I mean, Malassia maybe is the the exception to that because you could say that Luke Shaw at left back's a better player than than he is. But Casemiro, Lisandro Martinez, Eriksson, Anthony, they're all in their first eleven, in their best eleven, and so. The, the recruitment's been very good. That's the first thing you would say. There's a winning mentality about them. Ericsson's won a Serie A title. Casemiro's won everything going uh, for, for Real Madrid. Um, Lissandro Martinez has just won a World Cup. He's got that in the. He's got that mentality now flowing around Old Trafford that they go into every game believing they can win it. And this is a really good test. This is the ultimate test against the best team in the league. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Tyrell Malassia and whether or not he actually improved the team by playing in the first team. Actually, what he did was is he improved Luke Shaw. So by having him in the building and being a well, young emerging left back, he put the competition on Luke Shaw and Luke Shaw thought, oh, I have to step up to the plate here, otherwise I'm going to lose my place. And he's playing very well. And Luke Shaw is playing at centre-half on the left-hand side of the... Uh, of, of occasionally, the, yeah. Occasionally as well now because Eric Ten Hag and Dutch coaches generally want a left-sided left left center back that's what they want they want a left footed yeah. left footed uh, left center back okay so we've done very well in bigging up manchester united and telling everybody how well that eric ten hag has done and how competitive uh, they could possibly be on saturday but maybe we've forgotten a couple of things first of all erling harland plays for manchester city and he's going to have a point to prove and also pep guardiola is in charge of manchester city and they do look strong at this moment in time and especially so uh, with the amount of squad depth. I mean, they played Chelsea on Thursday night. I mentioned it in the last podcast that we did. Um, Chelsea were bringing on youngsters under the age of 21 and Manchester City were bringing on Jack Grealish and Riyad Mahrez to win the game, Scott. They, they've got a huge amount of talent. 
They certainly have, and I'm interested to... Um, Pep Guardiola almost sounded like, you know, one of those sort of baddies uh, on a Bond movie. I've got a ridiculous plan for United, <laughs> you know. So, oh, you know, you Sometimes he does do that, though. He does do the ridiculous yeah, plan. All of a sudden, he starts, you know, I know what I'll do. I'll play Edison on the left-hand side of a midfield four or something. I'll play no holding midfielder in a Champions League final. <laughs> yeah, crackers. Anything's possible, but they do always seem to score goals, don't they? I mean, if you go back over the course of the last season and a half, they've only failed to score in two away games in the league since they were beaten on the opening day of last season against Tottenham Hotspur. The, the, the bottom line is, you know, and, and, and we're all still kind of saying City to win the title, although, you know, the longer that Arsenal do this, and it's going to be fascinating the month that Arsenal's got, and then they've got City as well in, in February. But we still fancy City. This, for me, will tell us about United, this game. I think this is a game where even if City do draw, you still wouldn't say they're, they're out of the title rights by any stretch of the imagination. But if United draw, or even if they win and they go one point behind City, wow, suddenly we are saying United are back in the game and what the job that, that Ten Hag has done. So for me, this is a massive test for United. If they get through it by not being defeated or even winning... They're back in the game, just like Rashford's back in the game. That's live on TalkSport 12.30 on Saturday. And we've massaged a few egos when previewing Manchester United versus Manchester City. Uh, We'll bring a few down to earth now. Everton versus Southampton is live on TalkSport 2 on Saturday at 3 o'clock. This will be a great game for Ian Danter and Perry Groves. Um, It's being billed as El Sakiko. Two of the most under-pressure managers in the league, Lampard and Nathan Jones. Will either of them last the season, Matt? Good question. It's um, it's, a, it's a great week for, for the derbies, but it's also a great week at the bottom end of the Premier League. I, oh, think, I think six talking. six of the bottom eight play each other. So that's that's going to be you know fascinating to see who comes out on top in those. And um, yeah, Everton, Southampton, Forest, Leicester and Wolves, West Ham. So this is there's five points separating 13th to 20. At, at, at the bottom of the table. And so it's it's really fascinating to see where this one goes. There's so much pressure on Frank Lampard. Um, well, actually, it's probably more pressure on the board at Everton than there is Frank Lampard. I think yes. Frank Lampard's got a little bit, Absolutely. little bit of credit in the bank at, at Everton. Um, but there's, there's protests planned, I think, at, at Goodison. This weekend, they're talking about big banners. It'd be a peaceful protest by by all accounts, but they're trying to intensify the pressure on the board at the club. Um, former players are starting to speak out now about the, the problems at Everton. Um, there's been previous mistakes financially. They've they've wasted fortunes, and now they're in a position where they haven't got too much money to spend. Alex Iwobi got injured in the in the game. Um, against Manchester United. At Old Trafford. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a big problem though, isn't it? I mean, all the historical spending and stuff like that, Matt, is really relevant because it, it means that Frank Lampard's trying to sort of put together a jigsaw where the pieces don't quite fit. But ultimately, one of the bigger issues that they've had over the course of the early part of the season is just the sheer number of injuries that they've yeah, it has been a massive problem. Now, we won't be out for another three weeks. Doesn't doesn't help him. What I would say about Everton is... I think the players are fighting for it. Connor Cody said it himself. I think he said, we're in a bad place, but we're fighting for for, for the manager. And I think there is that mentality with, within it. Um, but it's, it's, it looks really difficult for them. This is, I mean, a must-win game, isn't it, for, for Frank Lampard and, Ev- and Everton. I mean, it's a must-win game for, for Southampton, mind. Um, but 
but more so for Everton. The fact that it's at Goodison, the fact that there's going to be the protest planned, the atmosphere is going to be a difficult one for the players to to play in. So this is a huge game for them to to, to try and try and get themselves at that bottom three um, where they currently sit. Um, we've been talking a lot about um, Graham Potter and it, I know that um, Scott uh, suggested that there was a narrative in the media trying to build a case against Graham Potter. Our own Alex Crook has <laughs> basically decided that Nathan Jones, after about 22 minutes, is not good enough to be the Southampton uh, That's, that's not like Crookie, is um, he, to make these uh, knee-jerk reactions? No, he, he never, ever... He usually quite considered, thoughtful... Um, takes his time over making a bold claim. Um, but what do you what do you expect Southampton to do here? Because they've sort of, I mean, the, the owners have got a lot to answer for. The recruitment policy is bad in the summer. It was a gamble that didn't pay off. Now they're trying to get more experience into the building. Orsic looks like he's going to be available soon enough. And they've got um, Nathan Jones, who, let's be clear, we, I mean, listen, we've done this before, so we want no point in saying it again. You know, they knew we all knew they were going to sack Harson Hooker just before the World Cup. They should have had someone in mind. Nathan Jones, I wouldn't have thought, would have been their, their their first choice. But what do they do now, Scott? Because if this continues and the form continues, the form is absolutely dreadful. I know they beat Crystal Palace in the FA Cup, but their league form, and that's the where where it really is important, um, is terrible. What, what do they do? Do they, do they sack him? Do they move on? Do they try something else? Do they admit they made a mistake? Or should they just keep ploughing on and hope that even if they do go down, they can reset and he's the man to bring them back up again. I, I thought he spoke really well when he was interviewed after the Palace game in the FA Cup uh, by Sam Ellard, where he sort of said, look, there's a lot of people telling me I don't know what I'm doing. He said, I do. Now, you know, he's obviously going to say that. I think you hate to see the sort of owners coming down to the training ground and seeing how things are, but but I'm, I would judge it on that. I would somehow I either go myself or send some spies and say, What's the feeling at the training ground? Does it look like he's got the respect of the players? Whereas if he hasn't got the respect of the players, there's no point in him carrying on. You know, but if he has, just like Frank Lampard has the respect of the players, then you have to get behind him. Orsage, I think, would be a good signing. I actually think this is probably the perfect game for Southampton. Look, he's played four, lost four in the league. But he's come off the back of a really good result in the FA Cup, which can be a real release and a relief. At the same time, you know, with the FA Cup, that no one really expected them to win there. The Everton, with the protest that's going on, the way that Everton are as a club at the moment, the fact that they're in the bottom three, which is much more of a surprise than Southampton, if they somehow get an early goal or just sort of dominate or make Everton make mistakes in those first 10, 15 minutes, the fans will turn and then it makes it even more difficult for the Everton players. So I actually think this is a great opportunity for Southampton and Nathan Jones to go here and get all three points because you can turn the crowd around. We've already seen the players in terms of character-wise, not every single. There are a lot of them who have got good character, but not a lot, not all of them have. And then suddenly just turn it around and, and go and win it in the, the second half. So it's a great opportunity, and that's the way Nathan Jones has to look at it. Southampton's last win at Everton was November the 2nd. 1997, 1997. What a wonderful year 1997 was, Scott. Wasn't it a great year? You were playing for Benfica the last time that Southampton um, play uh, beat Everton uh, by two goals to nil. The goal scorers, Kevin Davis and Matt Letizia. Yes, it was that long ago. They don't have a great record at Goodison 
Park. Uh, Brighton against Liverpool this weekend. Liverpool, they're in a bit of a uh, they're in a bit of a, a sticky patch themselves. I don't fancy them away at Brighton. Bearing in mind that I went down that uh, to the Brentford Community Stadium last Monday night and watched them capitulate defensively. Brighton are very well drilled, very well organised, and they've started to score goals as well. Could this be a sticky trip for Jurgen Klopp? Difficult game. Very difficult game for Liverpool. Um, I like the attitude of Roberto De Zerbi. I like the way he, he's gone about his business. You know, it's a difficult, that was a difficult job taking over from Graham Potter. The work that he'd done, uh, the way he'd implemented his style at the football club. And then to try and come in and, and continue that success, I thought was a very difficult one to walk into. Um, but, but his attitude, is he's got this this desire, this hunger, this winning mentality that I think is emanating around the club now. When he was when he when they won at the weekend uh, against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup, the first thing he referenced was the disappointment in the defeat to Charlton in the League Cup. He was still bitter and hurt by that defeat, seething, see absolutely seething because he's now thinking, yes, finish as high as we can in the in the Premier League, but he's thinking silverware. He's thinking about winning things. He's thinking about taking Brighton to the very next level. And that's, you know, getting to cup finals, winning, winning things. So I, I love his I love his attitude. I love the way he's, he's, he's done things at, at that club. And I love his willingness to play young players. He's not just giving them an opportunity because they're young and because it's a, a nice thing to do. And the fans can get on, on board with that and, and say, oh, he's, he's brought in one of the young kids because everyone loves, all the supporters love that, don't they? One of their own coming through the ranks and getting into the first team. He's not just given them the opportunity because it, they're a young player. He's given them the opportunity because they're good enough. Evan Ferguson has, has proved that already. It, it, you know, the start that he's made uh, at the football club. He's worried this month might be that Trossard, although he hasn't been in great form since the World Cup, might well be on his way. Mm. Looks like Spurs are, are hugely interested. But this is a really difficult game for, for, for Liverpool. Um, Gakpo obviously has, has, has been introduced. He's been integrated now into the team. Be interesting to see you know, where exactly he fits into Jurgen Klopp's plans. Um, I, I've still got this feeling that, that Liverpool are going to finish in the top four. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why, but because, because I think they've got plenty of quality, but I think they have got plenty of problems as well, particularly in midfield, I think, at, at Liverpool. Um, but I've still got this nagging feeling that they're going to finish in the top four. Seven points off the top four at the moment. Um, you talked to me about Evan Ferguson, Scott, because you like him a lot, 18 years of age. He looks a real player, doesn't he? I saw him again it's Everton um, last midweek. I thought he was absolutely terrific. And I actually, I must admit, I looked at him. I looked at his frame. I looked at his build and I went, 18, are you sure? Sam, that was the first thing I was going to say. He's 18 going on 28 physically. But what I also really liked about him was there was times where he could have laid the ball off and he didn't. He barged someone out the way, turned and had a shot himself. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's not a kid's mentality. That's, that's a senior pro's mentality. And to think that he's 18, I'm not in any way putting him in the Wayne Rooney bracket, not in any way whatsoever. But it was almost that kind of like, are you really that age, both it mentally, was. emotionally and physically? You know, that, those type of moments. So there's a player there. And, and in terms of Liverpool, I was asked during the World Cup who my top four would be, and I really undenied as to who would finish fourth. And I went for Liverpool over United. I'm changing that now. You know, I, since 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 the World Cup, when Liverpool, you could say, got away with it against Wolves in the FA Cup. You know, VAR was properly sorted. Maybe the goal could have stood for Wolves. 
Brentford, we all know what happened there. Leicester, in the first half, I thought Leicester were much the better side. And Liverpool won it on two own goals. And against Aston Villa, they could have conceded four or five. So this Liverpool defence is, is a million miles, and Liverpool team a million miles from where they were a couple of seasons ago. So a couple of weeks ago, I was asked by Crookie, do Arsenal just go to Brighton and, and aim for a draw? And I said, no, they've got these types of winning mentality right now. They need to go for a win. Liverpool, if they come away with a draw for this, I think is a very good result. Nottingham Forest against Leicester continues derby weekend. East Midlands derby. Leicester City absolutely tore Nottingham Forest a new one live on TalkSport earlier in the season. That was back in October. But since then, huge credit for Steve Cooper, who's turned Forest fortunes around. They're not safe by any stretch of the imagination. There's still a very long way to go. But I, I think I said to you probably about that time, just after I saw them against Liverpool, and I said, you know what? They're going to be okay by hook or by crook. They are going to dig in. They are going to stay up. Do you think it will happen, Matt? Uh, I think they give themselves a, a great opportunity. I was at Forest on uh, New Year's Day against Chelsea, and I was talking to Andy Reid, who's obviously on the the coaching staff. I played with him at, at Charlton. And played well. They they played well. They played very well. They, they they were slow at the blocks. I thought first half they showed a little bit too much respect for Chelsea. Sat off them, allowed Thiago Silva yeah. to basically run the game from centre back. Um, but in the second half, they they pushed on, got in Chelsea's faces, and 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 really gave a good account of themselves in in that second half. But but he said that I think they were a little bit naive when they first got into the Premier League. They were a little bit open. They thought they could just you know perhaps go at teams as as they had done previously. Um, now all of a sudden, I think it's a, a different Forest that was was seeing. And I also think that Steve Cooper has taken time to evaluate the, the I mean lots of signings in the summer to evaluate his best eleven. And I think it's taken him a while to get to that point. Now he has, because you look at the, the defeat in the FA Cup, he made 11 changes and they got stuffed 4-1. It, it, yeah. that, that says to me that he now knows his best 11. Well, he <laughs> and, knows he's not going to use that lot. Well, not necessarily not going to use them, but he, because that's what a squad's all about. But he knows... Obviously, he, yeah. But he knows exactly where where his best team is now and, and, and the direction that they're, they're going. So I think that with that in mind, they have given themselves a good chance. Forest are very strong at home or stronger at home than they are away. They've beaten Liverpool, West Ham and Crystal Palace there already this season. Uh, Taiwo uh, Wanyi is a real handful up front and can cause anyone a problem. And when Liverpool's uh, defence uh, came to town, they struggled to sort of keep hold of him. They had Van Dijk then. How are Leicester, who are one of the leakier teams in the league, going to handle him, Scott? Yeah, he's a, he's a real physical threat, isn't he? And he, he can go in behind. And the fact that he was a Liverpool player, albeit not playing for the first team, tells you that he's got something. Um, look, I, I was at uh, Gillingham on, on Saturday for uh, TalkSport for the Leicester game, and I thought their mentality was very, very good. Now, disappointing, of course, that they lost against Newcastle. Yeah. As there are problems again at Leicester, there really are. I mean, you know, Brendan's injury problems. Had eight senior players out, didn't they, during that yeah. uh, Carabao Cup time midweek? Do you know what? There's, there's there's injury problems, but then you know, Brendan and I like Brendan a lot, and I think he's a really good coach, and I do think he needs to be given money. But he's saying the same type of thing that he said at the start of the season, and that's not a good place to be in. You know, Leicester normally look at January window as a as a desperation. You know, we don't get involved in stuff like that. Well, they are desperate right now, so. I can see them bringing in um, players. But in terms of this particular game, I mean, look, you have to say Forrest, as, as bitterly disappointed as they would have been to lose to Blackpool, 
that win against Southampton was absolutely massive. And they've got Leicester, Bournemouth and Leeds their next three games. So you ask about whether they'll be safe. I think we'll know a lot after those three matches. Leicester, the way they're playing at the moment, oof. you know, again, I think they'll be safe. But but I, I can't say that 100%. And we should not be talking about Leicester in that way. So this is a massive game. Forest at home, not an easy place. And I actually probably would fancy Forest in this one. Uh, Tillemans' future is still up in the air. Um, lots of fans calling for Vardy to play week in, week out. But should they really be relying on him at this stage of his career? Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers against West Ham United. Two teams towards the bottom end of the table. Julian Lepetegui is certainly up the the intensity amongst the Wolves players. I thought they played really well for about an hour against Aston Villa the last time that I saw them, but they just ran out of gas. They're still looking for a striker. In fact, Crookie tells us, Matt Holland, that Mikel Antonio is on their radar. Will he solve their problems? Yes, I saw that, actually. Um, interesting one, isn't it? Because he's, he's obviously not featuring as much as he'd like to do at West Ham. Handful. Um, puts himself about. Um, don't know whether he's necessarily the answer to, to Wolves' problems in front of goal. Uh, but I've, I do think that Lopetegui has, has done a brilliant job since he's arrived at, at the club. Um, it, I thought that, that performance against Liverpool was perhaps the most encouraging since since he's since he's arrived. Um, but it, again, it, there's, there's so many teams in the Premier League that are looking for goal scorers. <laughs> and and it, they're so difficult to find. And January is notoriously difficult to, to get people through the door. Um, well, it, well, it'd be interesting to see what Antonio would cost. Um, but I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say he was the, he was the answer to, to their problems in, in front of goal. Um, but again, I, I still feel that that Wolves will have enough under this manager, I think, to, to stay out of trouble. I know they're in the relegation zone now and, and the problems are there, but I think they'll get out of it under this manager. Uh, West Ham have lost six of their last nine away games in the league. I mean, that's not a particularly great record and they're sitting uh, just hovering above the uh, relegation zone on goal difference. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, a point below them. Um, uh, Scott, you've had more clubs than there are on the island of Ibiza, but uh, West Ham is one of those. Um, oh, not, you needed another comparison there, mate. Wait, there's lots of clubs in Ibiza, isn't there? Exactly. I've been to more clubs in Ibiza than I've actually... I only had five clubs. Mate, he had more clubs than me, football no, clubs. No, no. Did he? No, only four. No, he had three. Yeah, okay, West Ham didn't really guess. count. Um, so, come on. Uh, West Ham United, uh, one of your many clubs. Um, <laughs> are they in danger of going down? Look, I, I was part of the squad that went down with 42 points. So, you can never say they'll be 100% safe. And that's why I'm always wary of saying that. But But no, West Ham will not go down. I'm not having that at all. Um, and I'm definitely not having Mikel Antonio going to Wolves. Why would David Moyes let him go to a relegation rival when Skamaka hasn't really been on fire anyway? You know, the whole point of bringing in Skamaka was to actually help out Antonio. So you've got two strikers. And, and a lot of West Ham fans want to see the two of them playing together, which I think there's more chance of seeing that and a change of system than of Antonio actually being allowed to lead the club. Absolutely no chance. But look, that Leeds draw, I think, was crucial just to stop the rot. Uh, they've got the quality. We know that it hasn't been good enough. And I do worry for David Moyes in his future because I, I, it'd be interesting to see what happens. You know, the sale of, of, of the London Stadium 100% after March the 23rd would go to 
to David Sullivan um, and I assume David Gold's family as well. So things can things can change, but no, I, I think for now David Moyes is safe, and I think West Ham will be fine in this particular game. Though I agree with Matt, I I, I actually would say that out of the bottom three, Wolves will not go down. They will not go down under Lopetegui. And, and I'd probably say it's 50-50 out of those two who would be the ones that go down. But I think both of them will be safe. This will be a really good game, this. I'm really looking forward to to, to trying to watch it. OK, Brentford versus Bournemouth is 5-30. Just a quick word on sorry, West Ham before we leave that. Their underlying statistics aren't as bad as some others in that area of the uh, the table. Their shot count is 200, uh, 246, which is a huge amount in comparison to those that I mentioned a little bit earlier on, including Chelsea. Um, they're XG 22.3. Uh, they're XG against 20.9. And their XG difference is in the positive 1.4, which is not the case for any other team in the bottom half of the table. So the underlying statistics suggest that it will turn at some point for David Moyes and West Ham United. Brentford Bournemouth 5.30 on Saturday. Tony set to return for the Bees. Still no word on that ban. They were really good without him against Liverpool. Bournemouth, terrible form, struggling since the return. Five defeats from five, three in the Premier League. Uh, they are going to struggle. One more huge derby this weekend. We go from Manchester down to London for a mammoth clash between leaders Arsenal and Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> On the edge of a penalty area, fires in a brilliant goal. And Harry Kane finally breaks the deadlock and he's now just one behind Jimmy Greaves. Finding Kulisewski again, he can fire in the cross. It comes to Hoiberg! And Tottenham have equalised and they've turned from two goals down. And yet again, Antonio Conte's team never know they are beaten. Edge of the box, Martinelli's in the penalty area. He's found the net! He went near post, he beat Fabianski! Arsenal have turned it around! Now Thomas Partey swings the ball in towards the near post and scores a brilliant goal from range into the corner of the net. Spurs against Arsenal is 4.30 on Sunday afternoon. We'll keep you in touch with it on the Sunday session this week. Um, Let's have a guess what might happen in the first half. Spurs will do uh, nothing and Arsenal probably will take the lead. Antonio Conte's team have not led at half-time in any, any of their last 13 competitive matches. That is nothing short of woeful, Matt Holland. Seen them a couple of times recently. I saw them three times recently as well, since Christmas. Saw them at Brentford, uh, then saw them at Crystal Palace and then saw them in the cup against Portsmouth. And every single game has followed the same pattern, where they were disappointing, poor, uh, slow out the blocks, not getting going, and then second half, transformed. Uh, the, the difference maker in all of those has been Harry Kane. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's, it's ridiculous. His record now, 265 Spurs goals, just one short of, of Jimmy Greasy's record. That's going to be broken. I mean, what a way to break it if he does it in the North London derby. Um, but he has been the difference difference in the, in all of those matches. Um, you do wonder where they'd be without Harry Kane. He's honestly, I, I can't speak highly enough of him. His goal, his, his goal against Crystal Palace, um, where he took a touch and he shot before. I mean, he literally just had his touch and then the shots arrowed into the bottom corner. 
the way he can find space inside the penalty area. Patrick Vieira talked about not having a special plan for, for Harry Kane. Well, he should have had a special plan for Harry Kane because he was the difference in that game as well. Palace should have been ahead at, at half-time. Word, didn't take their chances. I think Brian Heal has, has impressed in recent weeks as well with, with um, Kulisevsky out, out the team. I think he's done well. If they can get Ben Tanker and Kulisevsky back as well, uh, I don't know whether they'll be fit for, for this weekend or not. Um, but Harry Kane is the difference between Spurs getting a result this weekend and not. Uh, in those 13 games in which they have failed to lead at half-time, Antonio Conte's team have uh, won five, lost six, and drawn the others. Um, now, I mean, you could be really kind and say, well, doesn't Antonio Conte usually uh, make a difference at half-time when he's uh, throwing cups of tea around in the in, in the dressing room? Um, but ultimately, the other accusation is he's just not well-prepared enough for for the start of the game. And if you do that against Arsenal, who are in a brilliant run of form, with goals coming from everywhere, it's a real feature of their play that everybody is scoring in that front three, then you've got a serious problem. You could find yourself well out of the game before you get to half-time if you don't start properly Spurs. Absolutely, Sam. I totally agree with you. And even in the Newcastle game, Arsenal came out and Newcastle were just on the back foot. They're like a boxer on the road saying, I've got to hang, it, hang in here and hopefully you know, get, get to the bell. Arsenal have been nothing short of sensational this season. I said during the World Cup that the five fixtures after the World Cup would tell us exactly where Arsenal would be. They beat West Ham at home when they were 1-0 down at half-time. They went to Brighton, got a victory there. 0-0 against Newcastle. Okay, you know, it's not a win, but they were the better side and Newcastle were hanging on. Obviously a very comfortable win against Oxford in the Cup, but Spurs... Well ended up being comfortable with, with, yeah. a, with a, a side that he made some changes, but still pretty strong, yeah, which again showed, actually, you know, we want to take this seriously, but we're going to let other players say, play. And I'm really pleased for Fabio Vieira as well, because I watched a lot of him for Porto last season. I, I do think he'll struggle to get into this Arsenal side, but he's a very good squad player and could do a job in the Cups. But Spurs, Manchester United, City in the Cup, and they've also got City in the league next season, uh, next yeah. month, sorry. These games are absolutely crucial. You can, If you're Spurs, you cannot go 1-0 go down to this Arsenal side. And they need to be at it from the word go because they will be, you know, Arsenal would be 100 miles an hour. Fascinating game again. You've got to fancy Arsenal, but Spurs at home in these fixtures are very, very good. They don't lose. So it's a difficult one to call. Yeah, I mean, the, the the way they've... I mean, the statistics are, are pretty stark. I think it's 2014, the last time that uh, they lost at home uh, to uh, Arsenal. But Tottenham's top four pitcher not looking as healthy as it was earlier in the season. 33 points from 18 games. Manchester United above them and have got a game in hand and a two-point difference on them. If they were to lose this North London derby, that really would cause them a massive issue in terms of qualifying uh, for the top four. Um, how important was that victory over Crystal Palace to sort of give them a bit of confidence in the uh, in, in the league prior to this game, Matt? Because it was it was a stuttering return from the World Cup for some of Antonio Conte's players. Yeah, I, I, I mean it's massive, isn't it? Because they can't afford to get too far away from from the uh, from the top four places. Um, so it was a big one. This is an even bigger one, obviously that the North London derby against your fiercest rivals and particularly where they are in the league as well. So 
Spurs would want nothing more than to, to try and put a dent in their title hopes by, by getting a victory. I think this is a really interesting month from, from Arsenal's perspective as well, because I think the January transfer window, I know there's, there's been talk about Mudrick coming in uh, um, for Arsenal, and I do think they need reinforcements. I do think they need help. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the Oxford I think the Oxford game would suggest that as well that the, that the perhaps the bench when you look at Arsenal's bench it isn't as strong as as some others in the, in the Premier League and so I think reinforcements are needed but there's also that difficult balancing act as well of upsetting the equilibrium of that dressing room and where they are at the moment so bringing in the right characters into that dressing room is going to be absolutely vital for Mikel Arteta um, there's a really good atmosphere about the group, isn't there, at the moment. In that dressing room, it just looks yeah. so harmonious. The players are on the same wavelength. They're enjoying it. The smile on their faces. They're playing at an intensity and a tempo. And it's a really good atmosphere at Arsenal. So it's important that Mikel Arteta, yes, he, he'll want bodies in the building, but he's got to get the right personnel into that building as well. I'm pleased you chose to use the word equilibrium today when Scott and I were with you rather than Crook because he would have been baffled by that in searching for Doris at this stage. Chelsea against Crystal Palace, the second London derby in the space of a week for Chelsea. Uh, we covered them a little bit earlier on. Uh, a quick word, Scott, on Patrick Vieira and the job that he's doing at Crystal Palace. I mean, last year... He did very well, I thought, to turn the dressing room round, the style of football round, and still maintain Crystal Palace in the Premier League. Uh, obviously, they're much better to watch under him than they were under Roy Hodgson. But he seems to have hit a bit of a brick wall. I mean, they were thumped by Spurs in the last Premier League outing. They were beaten at home to Southampton. Yeah, that happened in the FA Cup. Um, so, so, so what does he do and how much pressure is he going to be under? Well, there was that Fulham result as well, wasn't there? Losing 3-0 at home to them. So I don't think it's been a very enjoyable post-World Cup for Patrick Vieira, but I like him, Sam, and I'm not someone... I, I, why I don't always want to make predictions in terms of who's going down and who's getting the top four, because on a week-by-week -week basis, things change. But in terms of managers, I, I like him a lot. You know, I think he's one of those where he's learning all the time, but also if you give him a better squad with a, more of a depth, I think, you know, he'll do even better. I can see him being Arsenal's next manager, you know, whenever that might be. I, I, I Honestly, I, I think he gives, he likes talented players to play. You know, the fact that he puts Ebreze in almost as a central midfielder, number eight, tells me that he trusts his talented youngsters. Um, and he wants his players to, to go forward. Now, you, you with all due respect, every year the Palace are in the, the, the Premier League is still a very much a bonus. So, you want to try and build on, of course they do, and get into the top half if possible. But it's not easy to do that. So, look, he, he's had injuries as well. He's trying to get players in the right position. Will Saha, what happens there? You know, does he sign again? There's a big decision for the club to, to make there. Um, and if not, okay, you're saving a lot on wages, but wow, you're going to spend a lot on transfer fee to try and play, replace him. Yeah, I made a mistake there, didn't I? Trying to ask uh, a unbiased opinion. Uh, on Crystal Palace from a Charlton man. Oh um, no, no! Outrageous! I should have. Well, uh, I should have known. Palace need Palace fans. In there. If, if Palace fans aren't aren't happy, just look at Charlton. That's what I would say. Just look at Charlton and be careful well, what you yeah, wish. Well, we talked about. We spoke about this last night, and you may have heard it on the on on the program. Actually, you know, be careful what you wish for because this is a Charlton were a club where 
Alan Kerbishty was seemed to be too boring and, you know, just not really having too much ambition. They always finished 10th or 11th in the Premier League and, and that wasn't good enough. I think they'd bite your right arm off for that sort of stability now, bearing in mind the ownership problems that they've had and the, and the, uh, the, the amount of time they spent in the third tier of English football. Uh, Newcastle against Fulham is also this weekend. Fulham and Chelsea playing twice over the weekend. Impressive response from Newcastle midweek to beat Leicester in the Carabao Cup. Thought they were really good. Dan Burns' goal was terrific. Um, the uh, the finish from Joel Linton to to seal a place in the Carabao Cup semi-finals absolutely superb for Newcastle United. Um, a quick word on Newcastle, Matt: Are they in the driving seat for the top four? They were more than good, more than good against Leicester in the Carabao Cup. They could have been four 0 up inside ten minutes. They were absolutely brilliant. I thought in the game, totally, totally dominated. Should have had the game wrapped up. He's all right. That how. There isn't he? He's not bad. He's not bad. I'll tell you what, I mean, what a place to be now for, as a Newcastle fan. The recruitment's been great. The coaching has been good. Um, the fanatical support, the, a semi-final to look forward to. It's a good place right now to be a, to be a Newcastle fan. And, and I think, well, they have to be in the driving seat. I think you know, the way that they're, they, they're going about it and the, and the confidence that must be, that, that must be coursing through that, that place at the moment. Um, 18 years since they were in a, a semi-final of a cup competition and now they've got one to look forward to. It's a, uh, they're, they're absolutely favourites. And, and this is a tough game because Fulham have gone under the radar a little bit, I think, this season. And, and look at where they are in the league. People have talked about Brighton and they've, you know, they've talked about Brentford and what they've done this season. But look where Fulham are in the league and, and, and how well they've done and how well Mitrovic has done. He'll be back for this game, of course. He misses the Chelsea one. Yeah, suspended. I was say, that's a key one. And, and against his former team. That's a, a very key one, isn't it? You know, Mitrovic back at Newcastle as well. So um, he's someone they're going to have to keep an eye on. But Isak's back for Newcastle. Bruno Gimares, I mean, what a player, by the way. He's got a bit of everything, hasn't he? Um, just enjoying watching Newcastle play. They were brilliant against Leicester. Play like that, they will beat Fulham comfortably. Okay, Thursday night, we've got live uh, commentary, Fulham against Chelsea. Uh, Friday night, Aston Villa against Leeds is live on Talk Sport. Saturday, Manchester United, Manchester City, the uh, Manchester Derby Premier League uh, exclusive, only on Talk Sport. That kicks off at 12.30. Then we'll take you round the grounds with Ray Parler, Chris Uelamo and Adrian Durham from 2.30, uh, whilst we bring you Everton, Southampton, El Sakiko on Talk Sport 2 from 3 o'clock. Scott, thank you very much. Matt, thank you very much. Back soon. Uh, please tell all your friends about the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. And if you've got any feedback, especially uh, if you're, uh, I don't know, a Crystal Palace fan or something, uh, it's, it's <laughs> I am Scott Minto on Twitter. <laughs> uh, this is uh, the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.